going on, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast, Mass Media Hysteria. My name is Court. I will be your host for the duration. With me, as always, is Chris. How's it going, everybody? Uh, normally, this would be Andres's uh, week to be here, but he's feeling a little bit under the weather. So we just want to wish him, A, a happy birthday, which was a couple days ago, and B, uh, a speedy recovery. Uh, we're sure he's going to be just fine. Uh, today's going to be a bit of a shorter show uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we only have two topics to get to, and two, we just did 15 minutes before re- realizing that we forgot to press record. So, like the professionals <laughs> we are. Yeah, rookie yeah. mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two topics we have today, because there wasn't much in the world of entertainment news, we're going to be doing spoiler reviews of the new Tom Hanks sci-fi movie Finch, as well as, of course, Marvel's Eternals. Uh, these will be spoiler reviews. We're not going to hit every story beat, but we will talk about them uh, fairly in depth. So we will get to that in a second. As per usual, we want to encourage you guys to click like on this video. If you did enjoy the podcast, it helps the video get out there. It helps the channel grow. We appreciate that very much. And of course, jump into the comments. Uh, let us know what you thought of these movies. I do read all the comments and respond when I can. So don't think uh, your, your thoughts are being unread. And of course, we want to let you know that if you don't have time to watch a long ass YouTube video, you can always go to places like uh, Google Podcasts or Spotify for uh, audio only versions of this podcast. So check that out if that's your thing. And you're already on my YouTube channel. Why not click subscribe? It'll make you feel great or something like that. So uh, moving on, we are going to go into our first topic, which is the movie Finch. This came out on Apple TV Plus uh, this, this past Friday. It stars Tom Hanks as a guy named Finch living in a post-apocalyptic world. We never quite learn exactly what happened. We understand that it had something to do with solar flares and there are massive holes in the ozone layer, which make it impossible to be in direct sunlight if you're a human or a dog. Uh, The film, uh, again, then Tom Hanks, whose character Finch, we know he was kind uh, uh, kind of a wonder kind as a kid. Uh, at coding and whatever he's slowly building a robot um, to take care of his dog should anything happen to him uh, so the film stars Tom Hanks Caleb Landry Jones who does the voice and the mocap for the robot Jeff and a dog named Seamus who is very cute um, even though I know the answer to this because of our little dry run there Chris before I ask you what you thought um, was this movie on your radar were you looking forward to it um, this movie has been on my radar for a bit. Um, it was originally titled BIOS from like a few years back. Um, so it's been in production for a while. I wouldn't say I was really excited for it, um, but I was kind of intrigued. I like the premise, kind of like the quick blurb that's on IMDb essentially is Tom Hanks. Um, and I said this joke last time, but Tom Hanks playing Tom Hanks. Um, he lives in a post-apocalyptic world. And like you said, pretty much the the thrust of the story is that Tom Hanks builds a sentient robot with the main it has multiple directives but it really is like the main directive is to take care of this dog a real like human uh, human dog a real life dog uh after Tom Hanks passes uh because and things si- are- and since we're spoiling things we we clearly learn that he has some kind of terminal illness <clears throat> yeah so it's even if you went in even if you went in not knowing anything within the first five minutes, they convey yeah. pretty heavily that like, you know, it's not really going well. Um, like you said, Court, there's, they don't say exactly what really happened other than there was like a solar flare, but now there's um, the ozone layer is like Swiss cheese that yeah. Tom Hanks says multiple times. 
and there's just a, a ton of radiation that's coming through because the atmosphere is is um, affected. And yeah, radiation in 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 humans or mammals they don't mix. Um, so particularly if you've seen uh, Chernobyl. Oh geez, yeah. So it's uh, it's no bueno. But yeah, so I I would say that's I I would say I was actually kind of surprised by this movie. Um, I didn't love it by any means. I don't think it's like this is great or amazing. But I was I I was expecting less creativity from it. And even though there's a lot of familiarity as far as the story goes, um, you were mentioning before, but it's it feels very much like I Am Legend at times. It's very much like Wally. I mean, the beginning is just kind of like, you know, this deserted kind of brownish apocalyptic world. And there's even a little robot called Dewey um, that follows Tom Hanks along to kind of scavenge for stuff. So very Wally-like. Um, Dewey, by the way, in the robot is a reference to the film Silent Running, um, hmm. which is also a quite good movie that has kind of a similar premise. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I think it's just because I I wasn't quite sure what to expect from this movie that I was like, all right, I was entertained th throughout it. Um, I have some gripes with it. There's one major storytelling thing, choice that happens quite often in this in this movie that we'll get to that I just I thought was odd that they they kept doing like okay this is what we're doing this is the best way to to tell your story um but overall I would say I was entertained okay um <clears throat> as I mentioned in our little dry run there I was quite looking forward to this movie once it came on my radar because I love Tom Hanks and I love sci-fi and I think robots are cool and dogs I didn't love this movie there were things about it that I really liked uh, Tom Hanks's performance. Um, and <clears throat> I did really like, uh, as we were saying, Caleb Landry Jones as the robot, whose name is Jeff, I think did a wonderful job. And it's, it's further proof why I think it's always better to have an actor on set to play off the other actors, give them something to interact with. But also, rather than just creating a CGI robot in post, the, the 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 CGI technicians have an actual performance to work with because Caleb Landry Jones really does imbue this character, this Jeff the robot, with these little mannerisms and this voice that slowly throughout the course of the film, and the film only, like as you mentioned, the film only takes place over the course of a few days. Mm -hmm. But Tom Hanks Finch creates this robot. And at first it's very primitive. Well, I don't want to say primitive. It's a freaking <clears throat> robot, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the next few days, as it learns from Finch, it becomes more and more human mm -hmm. in its speech patterns, in its movements. Mm -hmm. um, you even mentioned, you know, like, or I mentioned that, like, I hated the voice Finch was using at mm -hmm. first, but it slowly gradually becomes a lot more human. And it was, it was a very, it was done very subtly, which I thought mm. was wonderful. And, and by the end, it's still a robot, but there is a humanity there that I don't think you necessarily would have found if they just got an actor to go into an ADR booth and they mm. just CGI this robot. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I completely agree. You, you can really feel the performance coming through by uh, Caleb Landry Jones. Um, <clears throat> just, there's so much more you know, physicality that needs to be brought into an actor's performance when they're doing CGI. 
uh, or sorry, when they're doing mocap. Um, but especially for a character like this, where unlike, let's say, Gollum or, or uh, Caesar from uh, the recent Planet of the Apes movies, that has a lot of human features and in, in facial expressions, um, Jeff the robot, which he calls himself, by the way, he chooses the name Jeff, um, it's pretty much a blank face. It has eyes in kind of a human sh shaped head, but it doesn't really have a mouth. And so all the expressions come from the demeanor that Caleb brings yeah. to the character. And I thought that was, I thought it was really good. I thought it was really good uh, physical performance. Yeah, um, it's, it's yeah. a lot of, it's a lot of like body, <clears throat> body language. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I mean, this, this sounds so obvious, but without an actor <clears throat> there, it might not have been where, you know, if he's sad, his, his you know, his, his posture kind of crumples or if he's, mm -hmm. if he's curious about something, he'll sort of just cock his head to the side, these little subtle things that go really a long way for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I thought he did a great job. I also wanted to mention that I thought um, the, the special effects for Jeff the robot in particular, I thought were quite good. Um, I, I could be wrong. I, I'd like to look more into how they did this, but um, I think that there, it might've been a mixture of CGI and some practical effects, maybe just for a few shots. I could be completely wrong, but that's all to say that I thought that the effect was very convincing. Like it never stood out to me like, oh my gosh, here's this cartoon. There's just, you know, yeah. Tom Hanks and a gritty set and there's a cartoon. I, I bought it. I, I really bought uh, Jeff the robot as a character. And that's really what special effects are, not only what they're, not what they're only supposed to do, but I, I really appreciate when special effects don't try to like take away, like they don't try to like draw attention yeah. to it itself. And it really just helps enable the story. So I yeah. thought, yeah. I, I thought the CGI throughout this movie is actually quite strong. Uh, yeah. Even the robots aside, when you see like the incoming storms and all that, I thought that all yeah. looked really good. But Jeff himself, there were a couple of shots that looked a little bit off for me, but for mm. the most part, that looked like a tactile puppet that was yeah. on set, which yeah. I think for the most part, it was not. Yeah, um, definitely. I can I can buy that. There was a couple of shots, like you said, that can stick out of my mind. Like there's one towards the end of him just kind of sitting in a field with Tom Hanks that you could tell I'm like that he's not really there. But then there's others, other times where he's like wearing a coat and kind of interacting with the dog um and tom hanks that yeah again i i just it's not that it was like i couldn't tell the difference but it i wasn't thinking this is a cgi character yeah i was just watching the character yeah i was uh, i was yeah. kind of i was just kind of buying it yeah yeah um so yeah i agree with you the the, uh, the special effects for this were actually not like mind-blowing or anything but they were used sparingly and when they were used it was quite good like some great overhead shots of kind of uh, desolate post-apocalyptic cities. It was convincing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I this movie uh, we said <laughs> in the, the in the first time we tried to do this uh, is uh, executive produced by Robert Zemeckis and its uh, production company. One of them is Amblin Studios, which is Steven Spielberg's production company. And both for better and worse, I felt like this was an Amblin movie. Like. A lot, so much about the the script from the dialogue to the the story structure, the pacing of it, it felt like a movie that could have came out in the '80s or, or early '90s. It it was like it was like an '80s kind of script, but with a very modern uh, visual aesthetic. 
And again, there are, there are good things about that and negative things. Before I say what I think the good and the bad are, did you get that feeling of it? Absolutely. And, and you know, as you were just talking right now, it's got a bit of an ET thing happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I didn't, I hadn't thought of until just now. And I mean, you want to talk Amblin. I mean, that's the, that's the freaking Amblin logo right there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's, it's definitely got a bit of an ET thing. I, I was saying earlier that, well, you had mentioned that this screenplay had been on the blacklist, which is this list of some of the best screenplays in Hollywood that haven't been made yet for yeah. whatever reason, they don't have investors or mm -hmm. they don't think they'd make money, but, um, and we were both saying we'd be curious to see sort of, because presumably the screenplay has gone through a number of drafts. Uh -huh. I'd be curious to see what the original iteration was like, because I did feel like this maybe was a little bit kidified. Uh -huh. Like this almost feels like a kid's <clears throat> movie or a family movie, but with some heavy like uh, overtones. But I wonder if it was in its original form, a little bit more bleak, a little bit more cerebral, which I think I would have liked better because that's just my yeah. kind of thing uh what do you think yeah it's it definitely makes me wonder if the, if it kind of got amplified um and made and made it kind of more of that um kid-friendly kind of movie that you would see in the 80s that would be produced by amblin where things like gremlins and poltergeist and stuff where they're they're simultaneously still able to be watched by kids but maybe a little bit older kids like there's still a bit of maturity to it like people cuss and people get hurt and there's there's actual stakes but it's also kind of goofy and there's there's a big section kind of early in the first act that was a little too silly for me uh where you know uh jeff the robot is just be, just been booted up essentially and it, you know it has to learn how to do things how to function mostly just motor functions so like walking and that's fine and that's kind of cute and that reminded me of like a in a in a good way reminded me of an amblin film like where spielberg in in kind of his acolytes at that time they would really kind of stop to to wonder at at the at the special effects it wasn't just like here's a robot isn't he a badass it's kind of like whoa cool isn't it neat and he's kind of like oh he's learning how to walk that's kind of funny and cute but it went on for quite a while and what really irritated me is that there was multiple sort of like uh reaction shots where like the robot would do something and then tom hanks would like do that kind of face. And then it would cut to the dog. Yeah. Remember, there's an actual dog here and the dog would be like, like the dog makes a face. And yep. it's like, come on. What they, the first- the, They cut are, to that yeah. dog way too much. I mean, I love the dog and they, I think they used the dog well as it went on. But in the beginning, it, it really felt like a, like a little kid's movie of cutting to the facial reactions of this dog that it's like the dog wouldn't comprehend what's what's happening right now. The dog would just be like, just like be dogs just zone out, man. They wouldn't like look at you like, oh, there he goes again. Right. And and if it happened once or twice, I maybe could have forgiven it, but it, it happened several times. Um, yeah. I I'll be honest. The I, I liked the very opening of the movie. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Basically, I was into it until he kind of booted up Jeff, and then I kind of didn't like the movie until the third act, um, because I felt that. I feel like this movie is at its best when it's being relatively serious. And the first two acts were so goofy and so silly and kind of hokey. Mm. Um, and it was a lot of Jeff learning to become more human. And like I said earlier, I did like the way they showed 
his transition into being more human. But it was literally like, like Pratt Falls. And there were, there were moments where I expected to hear like, like it was too much to like, I, I felt a little bit cringy with all that stuff. Once the third act comes, we start getting some more tension and some more um, impending death and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And I think maybe for some kids that'll be too heavy and too heady. Mm. I personally wanted more of that. How mm. do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I can, I can see definitely what you mean. Um, I think that it leaned kind of too heavily on, on the, the kid friendliness in, in the beginning, but I still found a lot of moments that I liked throughout. Uh, there's a lot of like individual moments um, that there's one in particular that it wasn't really too silly, but it was still lighthearted where uh, uh, Finch is essentially teaching Jeff kind of how to like, this is how you forage. This is how you you go into abandoned buildings and you do this and take the initiative to find stuff. And him teaching him that, there was still some bumbling in it, but it was uh, it also had some nice moments of levity of like, they the, the earth is radiated uh, like severely. And there's a moment where uh, Finch finds a really old bag of popcorn. And the the robot at first is just like, what you can't eat that. It's it's super old. And uh, Finch tells the robot, like, this a lesson you should learn is to live a little. And he starts pouring the popcorn. And because it's radiated, it just starts popping out in the open. And it's not serious, it's not super goofy, but it's just a little moment of levity that kind of hits home to what the theme of the film is, um, which is to live, like to, to use the time that you have on life to the fullest. So little moments like that were peppered throughout that kept me interested enough in the second act, I think. And I'll, I'll say, I actually thought that moment, like I thought it was a little bit funny to me. I thought that moment was really kind of beautiful. Like I, yeah. I really did like that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that maybe it just, this movie is a little under two hours. I think maybe they could have trimmed a, a, a bit off of it just to, in the middle. Um, because I agree that like it gets pretty heavy towards the end and I, I enjoyed the drama of it. Um, but something that was irritating me more than, uh, than just the kind of the levity in the beginning was it happened, I believe at least three times, but there's a recurring thing. There's the recurring moments that happen where Tom Hanks is just telling stories to to Jeff and he starts off with once upon a time. And the first time they did it, you know, it was kind of it, it was kind of funny cuz Jeff was trying to figure out what what he meant by it. But then they kept doing it even close to the very end where where it just kind of felt like a lazy way of of kind of conveying backstory. Mm. Um where I you know, off the top of my head I can't think of a a better way, but it was I don't know. It just, it really felt like the movie just kind of came to a halt and Tom Hanks was like, let me tell you a story. And it's like, okay, I don't know. I don't know. Like the fact that it, it, they kept doing that stood out to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I will say, I thought a couple of the stories he tells essentially monologues, um, particularly like kind of the last one, or there yeah. are a couple towards the end that are both really good, mm-hmm. but it, it did, it did feel like a little bit jarring that like, now we're going to transition into the next act. We need a little story to get us there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it felt kind of contrived on a, on, a, on a writing level, but at the same time, it's Tom Hanks giving monologues. And, mm-hmm. you know, so he does it. He's the, he's, he's 
such an old pro at this point that of course he, he does it terrifically. And despite my complaints about how contrived it feels, you like you said, there were some good stories, especially towards the end. And now we're in kind of, I'll say again, spoilers for sure. But by the end, when he's telling the story of how he met Dog, which he he calls Dog, but he also calls it Goodyear. Um, and that's kind of a tragic story. And it kind of really illustrates um, why he has such a, a distrust of other humans. Because throughout the, the entire movie, you really don't see any other human being other than Tom Hanks. And he is petrified of, of seeing any other humans. Like there's a there's a pretty tense moment of another car following him on the highway and he's freaking out and you can kind of piece together like yeah post-apocalyptic world I've seen other movies like this I'm sure humans are awful scavengers but it, there's one particular story that he tells of like a mother and her child kind of getting into a, a, a violent altercation over just groceries essentially and it's heavy and you could feel the pain that memory holds on uh, Finch and the guilt he had of just kind of not knowing what to do and hiding in a situation where this violence was erupting around him. So I did. I thought that was quite good. Yeah, I, I did really like that scene. And actually, when he's telling that story, you see a mother and a daughter in this flashback. Yeah, they are the only two other people in the film. Yeah, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you mentioned, you know, at one point, uh, uh, Jeff goes into this. I think it's a mall or a department store mm -hmm. or something. And he's kind of scavenging for stuff and he puts on a coat and he's kind of being silly. And Tom Hanks comes in and says like, you know, you don't have any common sense. Can you not tell that there's something wrong with this place? We got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Obviously suggesting that there are probably people watching them who want to hurt them and take their stuff and yeah. take his robot. And, mm -hmm. um, and then it's kind of a car chase, you know, in the middle of the night and they're driving down the highway in their RV and somebody's following them and, they have to hide under a bridge, which messes up the RV pretty badly. And I kind of wish there had been more of that in this movie because mm. I did find that was kind of one of the more exhilarating sequences. And then it kind of didn't go anywhere, um, but it does sort of get the Finch character to essentially he's like giving up. He's saying, you know, I can't do this anymore. We're, we're just going to die. It is what it is. The yeah. whole movie they're they're trying to, the whole movie's kind of a road trip. They're trying to go to, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Mm. Uh, we find out why towards the very end, which we'll get to. But uh, yeah, it's Finch kind of giving up and and uh, Jeff saying, no, we can do this. I believe in you. And he's like, well, we shouldn't. Uh, you mm. shouldn't believe in me, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a sad moment. But I feel like if there had been a little bit more of that tension, I would have connected with that moment a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. It's it. It does feel like a, there's long stretches where not too much occurs. Um, and I think that more, adding a little bit more stakes uh, in this time or in this movie could have kind of helped it flow a little better um, because there really isn't too much stakes. Like there's there's a storm yeah. that comes and passes uh, and that's, that's kind of tense for a little bit. Uh, I like that sequence where they were being followed. But yeah, it mostly felt like this is just, everything's just so desolate there's it doesn't even really feel like there's other humans in this world anymore and so there's not really too much stakes other than the fact that tom hanks is you know coughing up blood because dying of radiation poisoning is the absolute worst um so there, there's stakes there but it it also feels like from pretty early on you could 
figure out that he's not going to make it. So it just feels more like less like we're trying to beat the clock to save Finch and more just like, well, we have to, we have to go somewhere. We have to go somewhere for the dog. But what also lowered the stakes was that well before the, the ending, they like, you know, like Tom Hanks was saying that the sky is Swiss cheese, the ozone layer, they find stretches of the planet or the country at least that are not over radiated that, right. you know, maybe the ozone layer is intact enough here so they can survive. The dog can go outside and it's fine. And that happens surprisingly earlier on than I thought it should, because at that point it's like, well, they're fine. Like Finch is going to die. That sucks. But the dog can go outside now. The robot is, is pretty sentient now. Even if the RV breaks down, you know, they could kind of hoof it or they could, you know, figure it out. It just, there really didn't seem like there was this narrative thrust. There wasn't like anything propelling the story happening after a certain point. Right. And I, I did, I did find this movie like quite predictable. I mean, yeah. Like you, you, you kind of knew that Finch was going to die. Yeah. And then after he does, and I will say I, I did, there's a scene where he puts on this nice suit, nice white hat, and he's sitting outside with, with Jeff um, and he basically tells a story of how, like, when he was a kid, his dad left the family and sent them a postcard from the Golden Gate Bridge saying, I hope to meet you one day. And then he never met him. Um, but Finch bought this suit for the day that he would meet his father. So he wanted to go to the Golden Gate Bridge and whatever. Mm. And then basically he has a coughing fit and says, okay, I'm going to go inside. And then he dies. And, and we... What what broke me and, and knowing that you're a dog lover, I'm sure this this hit you pretty hard too, but we sort of see him take his last breath and then it cuts outside of the RV and all we do is hear this dog, Goodyear, just kind of howl, like crying. Yeah. yeah. That hit me pretty fucking hard. Yeah, man. Um, it's, a, it's a movie that'll make you want to hug your dog. Um, yeah. And uh, it was funny because I was watching it uh, with my wife and I was, I didn't hear, we weren't talking throughout the movie. Um, and I was just kind of focused the movie. And I, like, it was hit, I was like feeling it, but I wasn't tearing up. I was like, oh man, this is sad. Where's my dog? I want to, I want to hug my dog. But I looked over and my wife was sobbing. So <laughs> it, it definitely, um, and I guess her, um, my in-laws, her, her mom watched the movie over the weekend as well. <clears throat> and she was also sobbing at that moment. So it's certainly that moment at least is hitting people in the spot that I think they want it to. Right. Granted it's, you know, it's kind of easier. I, I not easier, but when, whenever you in, introduce like a cute dog into a movie, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's kind of shorthand to like, okay, how you you have to be a monster not to be right. sad about a dog crying. Right. Um, yeah. So, but I, I felt like it was earned at that point. Um, even if it, some people might find the the howling to be melodramatic, I was like, no, nah, that's fine. I I enjoyed it, and even though, like you said, it was predictable, I thought it was handled well. And then, sort of this um, Viking. I like what I liked right after was kind of um, this Viking funeral that they gave him, mm -hmm. which which they didn't really draw attention to it, but they they were talking about it. I think like one of the postcards or one of the pictures was talking about like. Uh, a viking like they had a picture of a viking funeral and they were talking okay. about being vikings and in going out into the world and exploring um <clears throat> and i thought it was interesting because finch himself said that he he didn't really he just never got around to it yeah um again which reinforces this 
theme of not wasting the time that you have, um, which I quite like and I kind of resonate with, especially, uh, you know, you're nearly two years since COVID started and having all of last year, just me sitting inside. Um, now that I'm vaccinated and stuff, watching a movie like this really made me feel like hey, I really should go out and just do shit more, right. do more shit with my life because life is short. You never know what's going to happen. Um, so I liked the theme of it as well. Well, and, and I, I, I totally, yeah, I get that. Um, <clears throat> I did, I did think it was kind of funny that like after the death scene, you know, Jeff is pretty sad and he's sitting there on the floor of the RV and he's like, what am I going to do now? And in my yeah. head, I was like, you're going to drive to the Golden Gate Bridge with the dog yeah. and then the movie's going to end. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, it was a nice ending. But it was just so telegraphed, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. It's like, I, when he said that, I was thinking, like, is there something I'm missing? Like, I know that the RV's solar panels were, were broken. So is there going to be another issue where they just can't make it? No, they make it. And it's mm -hmm. fine. Yep. Um, one, one last positive thing I'll say before we kind of wrap this up. <clears throat> there were little touches of, of world building that I kind of liked throughout. Um, I like the suit. <clears throat> excuse me sorry i like the suit that tom hanks wears when yeah. he has to go out into the radiated places you know we've seen obviously like life preserving suits in, in space movies or science fiction movies before but i like the way that this worked and i liked his little compound <clears throat> and also little things throughout like there's a moment where i think jeff stops in an area where he shouldn't have because it looks like there's a trap i really like the interior of it and there's a moment where they're walking through this hallway and up above, plastered on the windows are like x-ray like diagrams. Like it's essentially like the sheets that, you know, can only be seen if once they're radiated, they're x-rays. And it was littered all over the windows. And of course, you could see right through it because outside the sun is just like beaming down radiation. Right. And they don't draw attention to it. It was just a little thing that I quite liked. Uh, it's also at the end, there was some some nice cinematography. I thought there was some nice um, like tableaus where they do like wide shots of one in particular standing in my mind of uh, them on the on the Golden Gate Bridge and the the familiar re bright red kind of steel that the gate is known for mm -hmm. is kind of covered in this green moss. And then they go onto the the bridge and him and dog are just standing in front of this uh, the gate or or essentially the the fence on the side, whatever it's called, you know, just say the thing that's, that should stop people from falling over. Right. Uh, and it's just littered with, with notes and pictures that you yeah. would see after like a, an event like this. So little things like that made it, made this little movie feel more alive than it, than it would have. It's, it felt like there was some nice thought and care put into the production design. I actually thought the production design was really strong. And you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned his suit and it was just like, it looked cool. It looked tactile. It looked really grimy. Like it wasn't like a, uh -huh. like a 2001, an interstellar, like everything's pristine. It was, mm -hmm. that was, that was nice attention to detail for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I don't have too much more to say, so I'll just wrap it up that I thought that this was, it was entertaining enough. It's not great. It's certainly not going to be in my, my like top favorites of the year. Uh, but I'm glad that I watched it. Um, Tom Hanks is always great. He's one of those actors that I really do think he elevates pretty much anything that he's in. Mm -hmm. If it's a great script, he'll make it better. If it's an okay script, he'll still, you know, 
his moments will still shine and he's yeah. great in it. Caleb Landry Jones is great. Uh, if you love dogs, I mean, this is going to get you in the feels, but I'll say that oh, we're already saying spoilers. Um, it's the dog does not get hurt. So if you're a big dog lover, I think that this is a, you're a dog lover and you're a fan of sci-fi. I think this is not a bad two hours to, to, to spend your time on. But at the same time, if, if you're not really, if you look at the trailer, if you look at the premise, if you're not super into it, that wouldn't hurt to skip. Yeah. Uh, the dog gets hurt emotionally, but there's no yeah, physical true. harm to the dog. No, no. All right. So we're going to move on. We're going to talk about Marvel's Eternals. Eternals. Uh, now, Chris, uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this after we actually started recording or not, but you saw it this morning. Mm-hmm. I saw it yesterday. We have not talked about it, so I don't know how Chris feels about it. He doesn't know how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. I will say, first off, and I, I did say this in my, my non-spoiler review, This I, I'm a fan of the MCU. This is not one that I was particularly psyched for because I don't know anything about the characters. Mm-hmm. I've actually been like sort of post-Endgame. I mean, Far From Home was cool. Post-Endgame, mm-hmm. I'm not super psyched about all that much, although I am looking forward to No Way Home. Um, but I wasn't super psyched for this, but I was very curious about it because it was co-written and directed by Chloe Zhao, whom of course, you know, uh, directed Nomadland from last year, which Mm. not only won best picture, it won her best director at the Academy Awards, but I was so curious because Nomadland is this incredibly introspective, quiet little movie with not a huge amount of dialogue, not a huge amount of actors. It's a lot of real people. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of improvising and what have you. And this is this huge blockbuster MCU, glitzy, splotchy, splashy. And, you know, as I said in the other review, like a good storyteller is a good storyteller, but like you got to have a different skill set to make a movie like that and to make a movie like this. So I was very curious just to see what this would turn out to be. Um, what were your, before I ask you what you thought about it, what were your sort of, what were you anticipating going in? Were you interested? Were you kind mm. of blah on it? Yeah, I, I was pretty interested on it. Um, Chloe Zhao is, is a terrific filmmaker. Um, like you mentioned, Nomadland, which she, which won best director, won her best director and won best picture. But even her two previous films uh, called The Writer and Songs My Brother Taught Me, they're very similar to, to Nomadland, not necessarily in plot, but it's all pretty much shot outside and she's Chloe Zhao is clearly very in love with uh, kind of the Midwest or at least the aesthetic of it. So she shoots the film very handheld, mostly natural light. And like you said, it's very, they're very introspective works. Like the, her last three films combined, the budget probably would have maybe covered craft services for a week on, right. on Eternals. That's how low budget they are. And so I also was curious, um, thinking how <clears throat> will how will her sensibilities as a filmmaker translate to Marvel? And at first, uh, my my thought was that they just weren't going to let her do anything. If that makes any sense, because um, what's what's his name? The I'm going to look it up for the the director of um, Shang Chi was also a little it was an indie film director, Dustin Daniel Cretton. Yeah, sounds right. Sorry, uh, I'm going to, while I'm looking that up. But the reason why I bring him up is that they've had other smaller independent filmmakers come on, but I feel like their voices are just just consumed right. by the MCU. Like Shang-Chi, 
I like Shang-Chi. I thought it was fun, but there's not a moment in it that feels like anything like uh, what uh, Destin Daniel Cretton has done before. Uh, he's done films like Short Turn 12, which are also very small, introverted, or introspective little movies. And Shang-Chi, even though it was fun, it felt like uh, the same kind of made-by-committee uh, Marvel movie. Same with uh, Black Widow and and a few others. Um, and I was worried that Chloe Zhao was going to succumb to that as well, that the MCU would just be like, nope, just we're you're in this box. You're just going to do what we say. So, but then the trailers started coming out and I, you really could start seeing some of the, um, the Chloe Zhao-isms coming through. It felt, I felt like there was going to be something a little different from this movie. So I was pretty excited, but then just this swath of really quite negative reviews started coming out from the critics. It started off kind of divisive, but the more I was reading, even some of the positive ones, like if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, even the ones that are, are listed as positive are kind of lukewarm at best. Right. Some, pe some people loved it, but even the, some of the positive ones um, are kind of like, oh, this is good, but the, the, it, it, it didn't seem like this was getting a lot of love. And that definitely, by the time I was walking into the, the theater today, my expectations were quite lowered. So I went from like being pretty excited to this, thinking this could be really something interesting or special, to being like, I don't, I don't even know if it wasn't for the podcast, maybe I would just rent this. Um, so yeah, that's where I was going into it. But I don't know. Do I want to say what my thoughts were beforehand or, or what your, or should you say what you thought of it? First? Either way. Uh, yeah, I'll you, leave, go, I'll, you go I'll first. Go, okay. I want to know. Um, I thought this movie was okay. Um, for me, it's lower tier Marvel. Um, which is a shame because I, I celebrate, because I do think that it is different from a lot of Marvel movies. Like it's got a lot of similarities. It does feel like it belongs in the franchise, but it's far less glossy. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's CGI all over the place, but like a lot of Marvel movies have it almost like, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like a, like a bubblegum sensibility to them. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that so much here. This, this had... Um, this was pretty steeped in mythology and even religion and it, it did feel like its own thing part of the greater universe but its own thing some of the differences I thought worked really well in its favor some of them didn't really work for me um, I would say that you know I, I, like I said this is lower tier for me I, I applaud what they tried to do with it I think a lot of it is because I didn't know these characters and because there were a lot of them to introduce in one movie, mm -hmm. it felt kind of overstuffed. So I never, you know, it's not the first Avenger where I just need to get to know Steve and I can lock in with Steve. Yeah. And I feel like some of the Eternals, just the Eternals specifically, mm -hmm. I feel like some of them were really given their due as far as introduction and some of them were not. I said in the non-spoiler, there are a couple of the Eternals. I don't remember what their names were. I don't remember what their powers were or which person has which power. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I mostly had a good time watching it. But it's also something like I don't imagine I'll ever watch it again. Mm -hmm. How about you? Um, I actually quite like this movie. Nice. Um, I there's there's problems that i have with it and 
right off the bat, I think that I would say this, I probably would have loved this if this was like an eight to 10 episode miniseries. Mm. Because to me, the um, you, hit, you hit on what I thought was the biggest problem with this was that even at like over two and a half hours, this was just so much story and character to stuff into one movie where it was just all of this lore just kind of jam packed into it. And 10 characters, at least that are just the Eternals, not including like, you know, Kit Harrington and or whatever. Um, and you and you do feel by the end of it, like, oh, we, we didn't really spend that much time with um, certain characters like Makari, who's uh, the deaf woman that, that can run really fast. Um, and other, other characters as well. Even Angelina Jolie, I thought, didn't really have too much to do. She and Salma Hayek were barely in the movie. Yeah, and I felt like, man, if this was a uh, if this was like a miniseries, they probably could have doled out this lore right. kind of slower, so it didn't just feel like just like this info dump, and that noise too. That's what exposition mm-hmm. sounds like in my head when I'm just sitting in the theater and people are talking. It's just <laughs> just it's in, in, insipid. Anyway, um, and the characters as well. I think that they could have had more time to kind of grow, but. That's really my biggest complaint with it is that it just kind of felt like it was trying to do too much and it didn't quite do it all in this one movie, but I've still really quite enjoyed it. And um, I do think that it, it did a lot of things differently. A lot of, like things that are, that are more subtle and things that are more kind of obvious that compared to other MCU films. And my biggest fear going into this was that Chloe Zhao's voice as a as a filmmaker was going to be diminished, and that it was just it was just going to be essentially another gun for hire for another Marvel movie, and that really wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Where while I still felt a lot of the Marvel influence creeping in, uh, a lot of the corporate kind of you know Disney mandates of like we have to have these pop songs and blah blah blah, blah whatever, I still felt that. I, but I also really felt Chloe Zhao's directorial style through a lot of it, even in the action scenes, which I was surprised at. There were certain moments during some of the action scenes where I'm like, this wasn't, this wasn't just um, the typical Marvel MO, whereas in previous Marvel movies, even before the cameras start rolling, the, the, pre-vis, the pre-vis uh, people in effects will just start creating the action scenes whole cloth because, mm-hmm. out of CGI. And that just kind of, attributes to the level of like this is most marvel movies just corporate products even though i like them but they're just kind of made by committee as opposed to like one directorial voice and i don't think that this movie diminished chloe zhao's voice and so i was i was pretty interested in a lot of the decisions made okay i i will also say one of my one of my favorite things about this movie um i thought it was visually absolutely stunning like the costumes were great. I love the look of their ship. I can't remember what it was called, but the Domo, um, the Domo, um, uh, Arishem, the way he looked was like mm-hmm. so badass. Uh, Angelina Jolie, Angelina Jolie's weapon, uh, the way it would sort of come like form almost mm-hmm. like weaving vines or something into like swords and spears. And, and that was great. Um, sometimes when, when characters are uh, talking to Arashem, they go to these sort of astral planes. It's just mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was all probably mostly CGI, but again, CGI sometimes gets a, 
it's, that's, that's like a dirty word, but if it looks good, it looks good. But, but here's the thing. Cause like um, you, you brought up in the beginning, how a lot of Marvel movies kind of feel bubble gummy in a way. And a, the reason in one of the main reasons for me is that most Marvel movies are kind of shot the same where it's a lot of kind of uh, medium lenses, which are just kind of flat and boring. Uh, and the lighting they're always either on sets or on green screens and the lighting is nice and even. So it just kind of looks like this, like you said, this glossy sheen of everything's evenly lit and there's no, you know, abstract camera angles, not just abstract, but like there's no like major close-ups or, or wide angle lenses. It's just kind of medium, medium lighting. And so things look boring, but here I knew this going in and I was worried that it would be covered up by the CGI, but it, it really wasn't for the most part, but a lot of this movie was shot on the locations that they were supposed to be. So, you know, places in the Middle East or in the desert, in the Amazon, uh, beaches, yes, etc. And it was shot very handheld by the uh, cinematographer Ben Davies. Um, and it was, so it was shot handheld, which is very different than a lot of Marvel movies, and used a lot of natural light. So the cinematography from the very beginning already looked quite different. So just like yeah. aesthetically, it just looks, it just stands out compared to other Marvel movies. There are, there are moments though, where let's say all of the Eternals are together eating dinner and the camera's kind of locked down and it's clearly multiple cameras to get coverage of people talking. And that feels like a more traditional Marvel movie. But again, even throughout like the action scenes, there was just this, more of a unique voice. Um, I don't know if we're getting into spoilers yet. Um, sure. Okay, so yeah, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it. Um, I would recommend checking it out in theaters. Court, would you? Absolutely. Okay. I, I, I didn't love the movie, but if, if, if you feel comfortable going to see it in a theater, mm -hmm. do, because it's, it's, like I said, it's visually stunning. Yeah, it is. It is quite the spectacle. Um, the the moment I was just going to bring up is is kind of around the halfway point when they're in the Amazon in the uh, the village that's being contro controlled by Druig, uh, played by Barry Keegan Kogan. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, um, but the, it's like the deviants are attacking, and it just reminded me of the of the Revenant with Leo DiCaprio mm. because there's a moment of of Richard Madden's Icarus just being like it's like shot handheld the camera's low to the ground looking up and he's just being tossed around in this one kind of confined location by this deviant and it was brutal and it was visceral and it just it just didn't look like this glossy kind of comic book splash page it felt right. like it felt cinematic where it felt like this is happening in a real location and it's almost like a run and gun documentary type of filmmaking of like getting in close to them and pulling out and um so there's little moments like that, even throughout the action scenes, that I felt Chloe Zhao's directorial influence. Okay, now that's uh, that's that's another thing I want to talk about. Um, throughout most of the movie, the central villains are the deviants, and we do learn uh, later on that there are other there are other efforts at play. But for most of the movie, the the villains are the deviants. They they did nothing for me. I I didn't, you know, they're just kind of big CGI monster cannon fodder. There wasn't mm -hmm. any kind of character development there. There wasn't any kind of motivation. I didn't particularly like the way that they looked. I didn't find them uh -huh. scary. Uh, it was kind of a situation of every time a deviant showed, I was really like, oh, the deviants are back, which is not what you want for your villain, you know? Yeah, it's it was weird because I actually kind of liked the design, the sinewy kind of design of them. 
I thought that was interesting looking, but you're right that they're pretty much just used for cannon fodder. And it, it they really always kind of come up and don't really feel like a threat. It's more just kind of like, oh, well, we've been talking for like 20 minutes. We should probably have an action scene. Yeah. In fact, there's kind of a there's kind of a meta moment in that same kind of Amazon rainforest uh, forest action sequence where Kamal Nanjiani's character Kingo he has a valet that follows him around with a camera that that documents everything, and there's a moment where Kingo tells him while the deviants are attacking to like, are you filming this? And, the, and his valet is like, we need to have action scenes. And right. I really felt like that was like Kevin Feige or someone from Marvel just being like, man, there's a lot of talking. Why don't you have the deviants just come in and attack right now? Right. Um, but well, was, I, yeah, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and because of that, there, there wasn't really, I didn't really feel many stakes from the deviants, even though they do prove to be lethal. And they, this movie shows that they're not, they weren't afraid to kind of kill off some of the Eternals. So it's not like everybody gets off scot-free, but at the same time, they ended up not even really being the main threat. And, yeah. and the, the eventual like sentient deviant that, that kind of was created, who gives a shit? Because he, re he really I just kind of came, he really came up and was like, I'm evil and blah, blah, blah. And then he fought Angelina Jolie for a bit, then he died. And then the, the movie continued. Like it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't like he was the big boss. He was just kind of there. And I was like, you didn't even really need him. Like, I can understand having the other animalistic deviants throughout just to kind of have action scenes because Marvel fans would complain if there wasn't any action. But by the end, you didn't need to have that sentient one. You could have just fucking had it. You just could have had everything else that was happening was already pretty high stakes. It's just focus on that. Well, and that's the thing. Like once, once it started getting uh, uh, um, sentient, like you said, started talking that was bill skarsgård by the way i didn't know that but uh that was bill skarsgård doing really? the voice yeah i just like, saw his, i saw his name in the credits i was like who the hell was he is that Pe pennywise right yeah okay i always i always mix up the skarsgårds yeah uh, so just holy crap okay All yeah right. um but like he, he didn't have much to do holy no shit. no and that's the <laughs> thing like once he became sentient and started talking and his voice sounded really good i was convinced that was going to be a reveal of like a major character going forward yeah nope dead nope. gone yeah and that's that's another thing for me i mean the stakes in this movie are really really big maybe not infinity war big and in that it's not going to kill 50 percent of the life in the entire universe but it's going to kill everybody on earth everyone's going to yeah. die mm -hmm. i didn't care and maybe that's because i don't know these characters and maybe it's because they didn't do a good enough job selling them to me or whatever but like i said in the non-spoiler review like in that in that final act when it's a race against time to save the entire planet i was kind of like if the bad guys win it is what it is i i i gotta disagree this is actually the first time uh well i'll agree with you that i didn't feel as much for the characters themselves as i should have i again i think that if this is a miniseries and by at this point, if this was like the eighth episode or 10th episode, we'd spend all this time with these characters, then that would have been awesome. Yeah. However, I actually quite felt the state. It really did feel kind of apocalyptic at, at by the end for me as compared, compared to, I don't know, like, again, like Shang-Chi when there's like a giant bat dragon, I was kind of like, okay, they're going to, they're going to kill it. It's fine. But this really felt like, 
like holy shit like the it's it it didn't feel like an evil plan i think it was it didn't feel like an evil plan of like an evil villain trying to nuke the entire planet but it just kind of felt like this almost incidental thing that was going to happen to the planet yeah this is just the w- the way that things go yeah yeah and i think that because it felt so almost like an act of nature that i i kind of felt the stakes maybe not for the characters but for the planet uh i just felt like uh like this shit could one this like this shit could end poorly i don't know what they're gonna uh if this is gonna be an end game type situation where something terrible happens to earth and they have to you know reverse it um but i really felt like i kind of put myself in the in the positions of just like being on earth as this is happening and just being like holy shit it's the end of the world um and also by the end of it i wasn't convinced that any like that all of them were going to going to make it i mean they killed off uh Angelina Jolie. Um, they killed off uh, the actor playing Gilgamesh, who was from Train to Busan, which is an awesome movie. It is. Um, and so by that point, I was like, oh man, they could kill uh, Makari, the the fast runner. They could kill any of them. Um, so I I thought that the, I, I like the stakes of the ending. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? I had a point. Oh, you know, I think, I feel like, I think maybe one of the reasons why it didn't work for me is that Cause like almost, I think maybe it got mentioned to a couple people, uh-huh. but outside of the Eternals, like nobody on Earth knew that this was going to happen. <laughs> I feel like if if you had had some like human moments with people, I mean, off the top of my head, there's that shot in Titanic where uh-huh. you just see the mother cradling her two kids, crying as the, as the room is filling up. Like if if we had a little bit of that to mm-hmm. sort of humanize it, I think that would have gone a long way for me. Mm-hmm um but yeah i just i don't know i kind of wasn't uh i wasn't feeling attention also i to be fair i was incredibly tired and the movie is long it's a long one i was kind of like okay wrap it up i need a nap yeah <laughs> um so there there is that but no i think that makes sense i i think that that could have probably helped as well having kind of reaction shots or or just showing that humans are understanding that like the end of the world is happening. Right. Um, I mean, the fact that we already have like a, a human character introduced uh, as in Kit Harrington, mm-hmm. they could have shown him maybe at, at the university or wherever he was, you know, like they, so I agree. I think they could have done that. And that probably could have even uh, helped you feel the stakes, but also could have raised the stakes even more. Right. For me. I did find it funny that this movie has, rob stark and john snow and they're both friends with cersei that was just weird yeah that's it's like was this intentional i feel like there was a little bit of intention it wasn't just happenstance of like oh hey what a coincidence they were like put them back together yeah i mean like it's not like we weren't gonna know this right yeah you, you can't well i mean you could but you're not gonna change the character cersei's name and it yeah. is spelled differently but if you're gonna cast richard madden and kit harrington we're gonna notice i'm sorry yeah kind of yeah, it was, and, that, and I wish that they had more screen time together. It was just kind of one moment, but well, Kid Harrington's barely in the movie. I think he had three scenes, right? Yeah, I know it's a bummer, and I hope that you know they set up that he's probably going to do more. That's kind of in the post-credit scene, but uh, which we'll get to. So I hope to see more of him because you know I like Kid Harrington, and he seemed like I liked that he wasn't. I don't know. They they didn't give him much to do, but usually when there's like a new love interest. And then, like you know, the the main character, let's say Gemma Chan, in this case, she's like a new love interest, but she also kind of has feelings for her ex. 
a lot of times the movies kind of paint the new boyfriend as like this dick or mm-hmm. kind of like to make you care more about the old relationship. Right. So I like that he just seemed like a normal, he seemed like a chill dude. And even when he found out that she was, um, you know, an eternal, he was, he was chill about it. So mm-hmm. I'm like, good on you, Kid Harrington. I hope to see more of you in, in the sequel. Well, and I guess, uh, I guess we should probably talk about the uh, mid and post credit scenes. I will admit, I didn't stay for the post. I was too tired. Couldn't do it. I was like, I can read about it online. It's going to be fine. Uh, so the did, mid... And did you read about it or... Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, the mid-credit sequence, we see... Who is it? I believe it's Makari... Um, Druig by Druig. Barry Coogan, Keegan. Coogan, right. Uh, and Angelina Jolie. Right. Um, and they're hanging out on the ship. And then I forget his name. Something the, the troll... <clears throat> Pat Oswalt voices this little CGI <laughs> troll, and he introduces the you know the mother of dragons, the breaker of chains, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. in comes Harry Styles as Eros, who is apparently the brother to Thanos. Um, he's he's humanoid. Well, Thanos was humanoid, but he's he looks human, like he's not he, a CGI character. He doesn't look like a purple nutsack, which right. I have questions. Right. I have questions. The movie did not answer. As uh, the, the milkman, I tell you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the milkman. What is it, Grimace? Yeah. Was the milkman. Right. Um, but so he comes in. And I, I don't know much about Eros. Oh, no. Let's be honest. I don't know anything about Eros. I know he's based on the, the Greek god of love, I think. So apparently this character is kind of. He's, he's not a bad guy the way Thanos was. He's kind of a good guy. He says he says he's there to help. He knows where their friends are because uh, a number of the, the, the Eternals at the end of the movie go and sort of square off with Arashem and then they kind of disappear into a black hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of setting up that Harry Styles is going to help them find their friends. And apparently as a character, he's kind of kind of a goof, but a sweetheart and he's helpful and he imbues people with self-confidence and I don't know, something like that. So I thought that was a fun little scene. Uh, did you have anything about it that you wanted to talk about? Well, it, it was one of those like where I, I just didn't want to be a curmudgeon about it because I felt like this means nothing to me. Like, I, I don't know anything about the character. I was, you know, I I was a teenage boy by the time that One Direction was popular. So it did not appeal to me. So right. I, have, I have no feelings towards Harry Styles one way or the other. He seems nice. Like, I have nothing against him. He, he was, was good. At, he was good in Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah. Even though he didn't have much to do, he, he didn't feel like an out of place kind of pop star. He yeah. felt like a, an actor. So if the guy wants to go into acting, then good for him. So for for the you know for the few like teenage girls that squealed in my theater when when they were when he showed up and i'm sure in many theaters there was a lot of squealing teenage girls good for them you know this is this was clearly like this is a big kind of teen heartthrob so it's a good get from marvel um I, you know if I, I have nothing against it but it wasn't this seeing harry styles did did nothing to raise my excitement for for that right. character or anything um, what I will say is if those characters do come back and they don't just pull like a, uh, what's his name? A Howard, the duck, hmm. um, where they just, you know, show them at the end. If those characters do come back, they got to work on that CGI, uh, like, uh, on the troll. Yeah. Yeah. That looked, that did not look good. And I, I was like this, it, he's so not there. Like I could just, we were just talking about, uh, like Finch where it's like, Maybe it's not the greatest CGI in the world, but you don't question it. 
it's just kind of like yeah this is this is a robot and it's and it's a real character this just looked like a like a video game cutscene. yeah and then it was next to like a real life actor i'm like oh they gotta they gotta fix that i was actually kind of wondering if maybe that mid credit scene maybe they did that in pickups like in uh the second round of shooting because they mm. thought of where they wanted to go and then they were low on budget for the cgi or low on time for the cgi i don't know but yeah it, yeah for a movie where most of the cgi was pretty strong yeah that really stood out yeah mm-hmm. yeah um but yeah it was it was an okay uh mid-credit scene and then the uh the post-credit scene which you didn't see but you're aware of it i kind of know what happens yeah it's uh it's there's not too much to it again it's more like oh it's in, that's some fun implications but it doesn't really show you much and it'll be fun if if they deliver on it, which they might not, because it really, to me, it seems like these MCU post-credit scenes, they're, I don't know if they're, if it's exactly 50-50, but it feels kind of hit or miss on whether or not they actually follow up on what they set up. Again, there's like Howard the Duck, and then there's certain, I don't know, there's certain times when it's just usually used for a laugh. But the the end credit scene essentially is um, Kid Harrington. He was alluding to it by the end of the movie that, you know, his family history, um, there's more to his family history than he even realized and that he led on to Cersei. And the, he's, it's revealed without showing him in costuming or, or anything that he is also another character from the comics. I believe it's the Black Knight. Yeah. Um, and so they show him with a sword. And so it's kind of teasing that he's going to be, um, you know, maybe super powered up by the next time or the next time we see him, he's not just going to be only a human. Um, that's kind of a sidekick. Maybe he's doing much more. So that alone in and of itself could have been a tease. But what's really interesting to me is that you hear a voice off screen that's essentially like, are you sure you want to do that, Dane? And I didn't know who it was at the time. I was kind of like, because they didn't show him. They just show the voice. Uh, Kid Arrington looks and they cut away. But the voice is of Mahershala Ali as Blade. Yeah. And apparently, again, I do nothing about this character, but apparently there are several runs of Blade where him and this character of Dane Whitman as the Black Knight kind of team up and do shit in London. Uh, and I'm yeah. like, that sounds yeah. dope. <laughs> I want to yeah, see was, that. There was something, there was something about, um, uh, I can't remember, they were called like MI-13 or something. They were kind of like yeah. British Avengers or something, and they were both on the team. And apparently Black Knight in some runs is actually the leader of the Avengers. So mm. I think I think they're probably gearing up to do something pretty major with kit harrington you're not going to get kit harrington for the love interest for three scenes no to not build to something and i just think it's funny like like this movie is pretty meta when it comes to game of thrones with cersei and rob stark and Jon snow but also now he's going to be playing the black knight whereas on game of thrones he was a knight who wore all black yeah black hair like i just think it's kind of funny it was very intentional casting on their part um yeah, but I know that we're jumping around, but I do actually have a bit more to say about the, the movie proper. Okay. Um, one thing that I that I really liked about this movie, even though there was a lot of lore, is that this, this I thought it was a, a pretty cerebral Marvel movie. Not like, not like it was super difficult to understand the themes or anything, but I actually quite liked that at the end of the day, even though there was CGI battles and it was kind of a, it was a bit of a CGI punch up, which is Marvel's MO. Regardless of that, it, it really, the, the main conflict boiled down to kind of this morality choice mm-hmm. that was, I thought was kind of refreshing 
as far as Marvel goes, because typically it's like good guy, bad guy, punch him until he's either dead or he gives up. Like that's, that's it. And that wasn't the case here. And it was really, you know, essentially the main conflict in the, in the story is that uh, the celestials, which are like these gigantically huge, you know, celestial beings as, as it, implies they're kind of like gods in a way and then they create the cosmos and essentially the way that they cultivate and and create new uh, celestials which happens once every billion years or something is that they they find a planet that's ripe enough with enough energy for the celestial to consume and then be born so basically for a celestial to be born there's one inside of earth it it has to destroy the earth um, which means obviously 8 billion people die and every single living animal dies. But in being born, the celestial will go off and create like galaxies or solar systems. So it really is like, on one hand, billions of lives are going to be lost if the earth is destroyed, but trillions, if not more lives will be made and in right. however many planets. And not only do they bring that up, but the characters actually debate it and and the, the characters themselves are split on it. It's not just the Eternals team up to fight the bad guys. It's like the Eternals are split on like, what should we do? Um, that was, that I, was actually yeah. something I really liked where, mm. uh, again, I forget his name, but Kumail Nanjiani's character. Um, Kingo. Kingo. Sort of, they're, they're having this, you know, um, uh, Richard Madden's Icarus has kind of done the the villain turn in that this is what Arishem commands and this, mm -hmm. he's going to make sure this happens. If he has to kill all the rest of them, he will. So the rest of them are sort of having a conversation. What are we going to do? And Kingo basically says, you know, he's like, uh, I, I don't agree with you. I think all these other lives need to be created, but I won't fight you guys either because you guys are my friends. You guys are my family. So I'm just going to take myself out of the situation and yeah. leave. Mm -hmm. I really like that because He's not being a hero, but he's not being a villain. He's just yeah. saying, this is a conflict of morality. I'm mm -hmm. taking myself out of the equation. I thought that yeah. was, I thought that was a bold choice really for like a Marvel movie. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's something that you don't see, you know, it's, it's a hero that's, that's we've shown has superpowers and he's choosing not to fight one way or the other. Um, I also and, love, I love that his superpowers were finger guns. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go. Yeah, um, no, I thought that, I thought that was interesting as well. And again, I thought I, th I thought it was interesting in general that these characters couldn't really agree on on what was the right thing to do. And mm -hmm. even there was even like infighting amongst amongst infighting because it was sort of like some of them, like Richard Madden and and uh, Pixie Sprite, Sprite. Uh, the 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 Eternal that's forever in a in a, a young girl's body, which would suck. Or, you know, it reminded me of an uh, interview with the vampire and Kirsten Dunn's character. Um, that, totally. that's, just, that's just a nightmare. Anyway, um, but they're like, listen, we have to let the, the what is it, the emergence? Yeah. Um, we have to let that continue. And there's a group that say like, no, we don't. Like, we're going to stop it. But then even in the group that says they want to stop it, some of them are like, let's just put uh, the celestial to sleep. And some are like, let's kill it. And, and they're even debating about that. It's like, well, do we have the right? This is like a in, like a god. Like, do we have the right to, right to end life? And again, it's just, there was more heady stuff uh, than, than your typical Marvel uh, movie. 
And I and it, it's stuff that made me, you know, that I'm still thinking about, even though I saw it just this morning, I'm still kind of thinking about it of like, what would be the, the, the correct thing to do in that situation? Yeah, totally. Um, um, yeah, okay. do you have anything else you wanna bring up? Yeah, it's, I just thought that um, in, in the ways that it did feel like a Marvel movie where there was a lot of, there was, you know, action beats throughout and there was some kind of modern humor. Um, some of it made me laugh. There were some things that like uh, Kingo, the character said that it, that was funny. I liked that he essentially became this Bollywood star and, and passed himself off as like his great, great grandfather, great, great grandfather, et cetera, just to continue to be like this, this lineage of famous Bollywood stars. Um, but, I gotta say, dude's got moves. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it, Kumail was great in this. I really liked it. I liked a lot of the characters in it, um, even though a lot of them weren't given the, the time that they were due. Like I liked Makari, mm -hmm. the, the speedster, but she really only came in in like the third act and then she was cool and she was like doing sign language because the, the actress is actually deaf. Uh, but I was like, why did, why did we wait until the last like 30 minutes to introduce right. this character? But what I was going to say was that despite a lot of the marvelness throughout it, there was still a lot of it as well that just felt like some weird kind of, you know, heavy sci-fi book that you would read because it's about it's about these eternal beings that come down to earth and and they kind of influence society and they watch society from the sidelines and i thought that was interesting like even though it felt kind of jarring to jump back and forth in time um it was interesting to see you know like the city of babylon in all its glory and it was interesting to see their kind of debates about whether or not they should interfere with human uh, events because they watched things such as uh, the fall of Tenochtitlan by by the Spaniards um, and probably pronounced that horribly but um, you see certain moments throughout history where it's like they could have done something and many of them want to do something mm -hmm. but it goes against their Star Trek prime directive and again I it's it's just more it's more uh, philosophical stuff that yeah. Than, than sort of punchy, punchy, the bad guy in the face. Well, that's that's one thing that I found really interesting about Barry Keegan's character is that like, mm. he's a guy who basically has mind control. If he wanted to, he could stop war. And he mm. does want to, but they sort of convince him not to, to the point where he leaves, he fucks off and he goes and lives <laughs> in the Amazon. Um, and I, I did think for a good chunk of the second act that they were positioning him to be the villain for the end of the movie because he was getting very like confrontational and whatever and i will i will also say this i i haven't seen barry keegan in too many things but he's he's you know he's uh, no disrespect but he's a strange looking dude um he actually looks a lot like uh, he's the british um cyclops whatever that guy's name is uh ready player one guy Oh, I can't. Even, I can't even think of that guy's name. I know, but they do look alike. I totally agree, though. Yeah. Um, but like, he's always, or at least in everything I've seen, he's always playing like kind of an introverted, kind of quiet character. By the end of this movie, I was like, this guy's a badass. This guy's cool. He's got a leather jacket on. Oh you know? man, yeah. No, I I loved it because it, it was funny because you're right. It they showed him and a lot of him just kind of being like in in the Amazon, almost like this weird kind of cult leader. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this guy's this guy's weird. But then after he gets out of the Amazon, like you said, he's got this cool leather jacket on. He's he's fucking macking on on Makari, which I really liked. Like he just kind of like struts up to her. He's like, yeah, you missed me. I was like, where's this character been? I want to yeah. call this guy not not weird like Jonestown guy in the Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also I did appreciate and I think I think, you know, there there are the people who think that you're only allowed to be a Marvel fan or a DC fan. I, I I go both ways. I like them both. I don't care. I'm talking uh-huh. talking Eternals. I'm wearing a Batman shirt. But yeah. I did appreciate, and I think this will piss a lot of people off. It definitely pissed off my friend Rich. I liked that there were like Batman and Superman references in this movie. Mm. I thought that was fun. Did that stand out to you? I mean, I noticed them. I don't know why it would upset anyone. I mean, Marvel's referenced, even in this movie, they referenced Star Wars. And it's like, right. not only is does the same company own Star Wars, but like there's so many actors that have been in Star Wars movies as well. It does, so it doesn't make sense if you really think about it. It didn't bother me. I mean, I like I like the idea that, um, you know, if in this case you can't have a, a Marvel comics in the Marvel movies, but you can have DC comics. So, hey, guy, I don't know. For anyone that's upset about it, just think of it this way: in the MCU, there's only DC. So you guys win for all right. for all you guys that want to want to fight about it. There's only Batman. There's only Superman in the MCU. So way to go, DC! You did it. Indeed. You got anything else, or I think we're good. No, we can wrap it up. Um, okay. Again, I. I would say, uh, if anybody's on the fence, um, I say check it out for yourself. This does seem to be a very divisive film. Um, I know this is not how this is not how Rotten Tomatoes works, but if you look at the negative score on Rotten Tomatoes, I would say that I I wouldn't agree with it. I would I would if I were to if I just walked out of this theater uh, not knowing what the score was, I would have assumed that this skewed more positive than negative. But that being said, it is kind of messy. I wouldn't call it a mess, but it's messy. It, it's kind of too much to be crammed even into this admittedly long movie. But there's, there's so much about it that I, that I quite enjoyed. I think it's unique enough from the other Marvel movies. It has enough of Chloe Zhao's vision behind it. Uh, there's enough interesting ideas that, that's more complex than most Marvel films. So I would definitely recommend it. I'm, I'm with you again. I, I do think it's lower tier Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that I just, I didn't find it as fun as a lot of the other ones, mm-hmm. but I do think it's visually just incredible. Uh, definitely worth seeing on big screen for that alone. And it's, it's, it's nice that it's something a little bit different. So even though I didn't love it, um, mm-hmm. it's definitely a recommendation for me. Okay, right on. Uh, okay, so that is the show. Um, of course, I believe next week we're going to be talking Ghostbusters, right? Is it coming out next week? I think so. Okay. Is it the twelfth? Does that sound right? I don't. Know. I don't even know. Where am I? I, th- I am think I? it's. I think it's next week. Okay. All right, well, I guess we'll we'll find out. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, it says November nineteenth for me. Uh, okay. Okay. So so, we'll so next next week. Right. All right. Well, so we well, don't know what we're going to be talking about we'll next have, week, but we'll have something good for you guys next we'll week. Don't worry it about out. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we go, Chris, where can people follow you online? Uh, I have an Instagram handle called Art of Light and Shadow. It's a fun kind of daily cinema blog. Uh, 
where I kind of rank my favorite movies. I do a lot of community-based stuff, a lot of things where my followers can vote on what their favorite things are. Uh, it's a fun time. So if you're interested in uh, both modern movies, classics, foreigns, art house movies, check it out, Art of Light and Shadow. And of course, Andres was not here today, but if you want to check him out, go on YouTube, do a search for Cheap Thrills, Unspeakable Terror. He does uh, reviews of sort of horror, sci-fi, low-budget B-movies from the dawn of cinema to the modern era. Check out his channel. It's great. I'm a big fan. And of course, for me, if you want to check me out on Instagram and Twitter, I don't post that much, but you can find me at Court Shake. Of course, you're already on my YouTube channel, so if you haven't subscribed yet, I would love you forever for it. Um, of course, we want to encourage you to guys to drop a like on this podcast if you did enjoy the video, just to help share it around so we can grow this channel. We'd appreciate that very much. And obviously, jump into the comments. Tell us what you thought of Eternals. Tell us what you thought of Finch. And uh, as always, want to remind you that you can find audio-only versions of our podcasts, uh, Mass Media Hysteria, at places like Google Podcasts and Spotify. So go check that out if that's better for you. Uh, we want to thank you guys for watching. As always, we want to uh, just say, you know, stay safe, take care of each other, take care of yourselves, and we'll see you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Take care, everyone.